0: Welcome to Spooky
1: South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it. AM
0: 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costco.
2: Good evening, welcome to Spooky South Coast, Jim Weisberg here, with the silent assassin Matt Costa alongside, science advisor Matt Moniz here as well. Matt, we have you for like, what, one more week before you go out on the road to Roswell, right? You got it. That's next week's show, the huge Roswell Smackdown that we have planned. Now this is, uh, you know, let's just promote next week a little bit early because uh, we're going to get into it with our guest in in a few minutes, Gary McKinstry. But next week, we're going to have a a really special show for you. We'll be back on the air at our regular time slot of 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And for those of you who are listening and you are unfamiliar with uh, what it is that we do here, our name is Spooky South Coast. We talk about the paranormal each and every week. But next week, we'll be back on at our regular time slot of 10 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to have something called the Roswell Smackdown. And I'm very excited about this. This was the idea of John Horrigan, who will be our guest uh, in the studio next week. He is the organizer of the Mass Monster Mash Conference. And and John came up with this idea of let's have, you know, let's go toe-to-toe Matt Moniz versus John Horrigan on the subject of the Roswell UFO crash. And we're coming up on the 60th anniversary of that event, so it's perfect timing to do it. It, It'll be a chance for, you know, Matt and John are two guys that get along great. We've sent them out in the field uh, together and... You know, they've hung out, they've talked, I mean, they get along great, but when it comes to the subject, they're ready to slug it out. <laughs> and so the way we have it set up is going to be a little bit unique. We're actually going to have a 15-round uh, verbal battle. I mean, just like a boxing match, it's going to go 15 three-minute rounds. Uh, there'll be a bell, you know, there'll be a timer, there'll be everything, and, and, and you guys will just basically go back and forth, back and forth, and and uh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to... We, we still haven't figured it out, Matt Costa, how we're going to do this yet, exactly, oh, yeah, but... But we're going to open it up to the listeners out there to actually rate the bout as it's going on. Just like you would score alongside a boxing match at home or, or you'd have the Harold Letterman card. You know, We're going to give you an opportunity to rate each round and rate who won each round. And then at the very end, we'll tally it all up and, and we'll see who the winner is. So uh, are you feeling pretty confident about yourself, Matt? You, you think you're ready? Um,
3: I, I know the material. Uh, I know all of the writers. I know all of the people that are involved. The only advantage Horrigan has on me is he's actually been to Roswell
2: so so this will be your first trip coming up, yeah, all right well, but I mean how much uh how, how that's like having a two inch reach advantage in an actual boxing match, you know how much does it translate you know your quickness versus his you know reach or uh, it's it's I think it's pretty evenly matched myself
3: between us, yeah, I mean we both have very good respect for each other um and Believe it or not, you know Horgan and I are very good friends.
2: Well, it's interesting because I'd like to see what the Vegas odds are on this match coming up. I mean, uh, the
4: unstoppable force versus the Im- immovable object.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're <laughs> going to start promoting the heck out of this all this week. Uh, I-, I get some people working on some stuff, and we're, we're going to see if we can uh, get get it out there and get it promoted. Because, the, <clears throat> excuse me, this is going to be. Just, you know, unique and different, and it's the way I envision. it. Not to it, mention educational. It, well,
3: it'll be in a format where most people can get not only entertainment out of it, but they'll also be able to hear all of the recent and salient points of view on it.
2: Well, that's that's what I'm thinking, is that what will happen is, you know, we're going to have that first hour as the, the quote-unquote boxing match between the two of you, and that's just going to be a massive amount of information flying, you know, from all aspects. And, and for somebody to listen and get that much you know, information on the subject. And then what we'll do is in the second hour we'll throw the phone lines open and everybody can call in and they can share, you know, their thoughts and their opinions and, and ask questions that way. So, you know, we get all that information out there and then people can respond to it in the second hour, which is that's what we're hoping will happen. And, of course, we'll be streaming that live on SpookySouthCoast.com and, and WBSM.com just as we are right now. And and I know people are probably in the chat room on SpookySouthCoast.com talking about the show as it's going on. Uh, we can't access it this week, but, you know, Please feel free to log on and join in the discussion there. And uh, I think the week after that, you'll be in Roswell, and you'll be checking in from there.
3: I will be checking in on the anniversary of when the story broke, July 7th. Excellent. The actual crash actually happened on the night of July 2nd into July 3rd, found and documented on July 5th, and then made public on July 7th.
2: Alright, so you will, <laughs> <laughs> you will be there. And then redacted July 8th. You'll be there and there'll be, uh, numerous, uh, luminaries from the UFO field there. And, and we're gonna try to grab some of them on the phone. We'll, we'll, we'll get some of them to, uh, agree to come on in advance and, and you'll just see whoever's floating around the room. And what we're gonna do that night is we're just gonna keep everything wide open so that we'll be checking with you repeatedly in Roswell. Uh, and then what we'll do is, you know, we'll take calls and we'll be able to patch them through to you and hopefully it all works out well. The only pro, the only way we're gonna have problems is if you don't get cell signal in new mexico but i can't imagine you wouldn't
3: no i've hooked up with the uh producer of Rozfest. uh that's where i'm going to be um guy malone is the guy that put it on and he's got all kinds of media outlets set up actually oh, be wi-fi excellent. i mean lots of very big names in the radio industry going to be broadcasting from there at the same time so and
2: stuff. so they'll probably be able to hook you up with a landline and everything necessary yeah all of that
3: kind of materials there all the media centers pretty much all set up um I'm also going to be broadcasting for fellow friends of ours on a sister station.
2: Yes, Beyond Reality, which uh, is not new tonight. Uh, they, no. are, they are uh, at Eastern State's Penitentiary, so Jason and Grant will not be uh, broadcasting live, but they are running a best-of show on our sister station. But uh, that's just a good way to stick with Spooky South Coast for the night tonight because we know everybody out there has, has heard Beyond Reality, and you can download the best-of podcast here, I'm sure. But, all right, well, why don't we uh, take a quick break, Matt, because we must have some commercials to burn here. We'll take a quick break on the other side. We will get into it with our guest tonight. He is a psychic medium, a paranormal investigator. Uh, his name is Gary McKinstry. You can go to his website, GaryMcKinstry.com, and that's hooked up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. But uh, he's going to be speaking at the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society's free open meeting next Saturday. I'm sorry, next Friday night. So uh, we have him on tonight to talk about the subject matter of that open meeting, Demonology 101- 101. So uh, we'll be right back with Gary and demons in just a few minutes.
0: Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you, right after this. Spooky South Coast is back.
2: Well, our guest tonight probably does shout at the devil, because... uh he has had experience uh, in the in the field, uh, going up against demons. Just as our science advisor Matt Moniz has, I, I was telling Gary earlier on the phone that I think you guys can can share some pretty good uh, war stories from from uh, going up against the demonic.
3: I prefer not to go up against them anymore.
2: Yeah, well, you're getting older, you know, and it's it's just you're not as young as you used to be. <laughs> it takes too much out of you. So, I mean, we it joke. Really does. We joke because we keep things light here, but uh, of course, you know, demonology not not a joking matter. There's so many. Uh, we'll, we'll get into this with Gary, but there's so many you know, wannabe demonologists out there that don't really realize fully what they're getting into. So I mean, we take things with a lighthearted approach because we want to um, make it something that's easy and available for people to talk about. We're, we're trying to take the, the scary out of it and just give you the facts. So you know, if we crack jokes or, or anything, you know, just understand that we do take this very seriously. We don't want people to think you know, yeah. that, that we're making light of the situation because I, I personally don't want to encounter any demons myself. I mean, that's my own personal opinion, but but Gary has, and, and he'll talk to us. Uh, Gary McKinstry is our guest. He is a psychic, medium, and certified professional tarot reader. He's been certified by the American Tarot Association for many years. He also holds a Ph.D. in religion and is a certified hypnotherapist. He's been reading the tarot and playing cards since he was young and has always seemed to have the gift of second sight. He is an associate member of Orion Paranormal. He resides uh, locally here in Massachusetts with clients from coast to coast. He is internationally known with clients in France, Australia, Brazil, Spain, and Canada. And he was also seen on a segment of England's show, Dead Famous. So uh, let's see. I mean, he's got so many different titles. of uh, Psychic, oh. Medium, Clairvoyant, Tarot Specialist, Doctor of Philosophy and Religion, Universal Life Minister and a uh, ceremonial magician, intuitive life coach, and radio personality. So we're going to draw on all of those tonight, Gary, if that's okay with you.
1: That's fine. By the way, I'm also a dad and a husband.
2: All right. Well, those are the two <laughs> most important jobs.
1: Yeah, we, we kind of left those out of the bio.
2: And, and your wife, Virginia, will be with you uh, next week at the open meeting uh, for the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, right?
1: My wife and our youngest son, Scott. Um, Scott's coming down for the weekend with us. This time of year, we couldn't think of a better thing to do. If you're going to do a lecture... The Cape in the summertime, it seemed like a natural thing to do. Absolutely. So we're going to spend a part of the weekend down there and have some fun. And hopefully, no, we're not going to be running into any demons at the Best Western, So
2: Well, I mean, you're going to have to deal with Derek all weekend, so that's... Uh, well, if that's a that's, demon, yeah. That's scary enough, yeah. <laughs>
1: but uh, I- I'm glad the way you put it. Um, I-, I do like to keep things light to a degree, and I'm probably the reluctant demonologist... Um, and what I mean by that, we Virginia and I don't run around all the time thinking that there's a devil in the closet. You know, there are people out there that see everything as demonic and everything is dark and supernatural. And much like the guys on TAPS, we try to make sure that what we're getting into is literally paranormal. Mm-hmm. We have a checklist that we go through. And some people are actually a little turned off when we ask them, you know, it's very personal. You know, we ask, you know, is there a family, you know, trouble in the family, you know, as a, a, a basis for addictions. We go through the whole nine yards before we even set foot in, you know, in that kind of realm.
3: You look uh, for the mundane first.
1: The very mundane, yeah. We're, we're working through everything else but. Um, you know, otherwise I'd be out every night of the week chasing something that really isn't there. Mm-hmm. Trust me, we've come up against the real, but I would say about 70% of the time, unfortunately, there are other reasons or other things that and far from demonic
2: but that's good though because you know it, having that type of uh, percentage of being able to remove remove it from it just I think strengthens your argument when you have that other thirty percent
1: oh yeah i'm I'm not about to go out there and profess that everything is demonic and everything is spooky and everything is scary, um, but when you do run into it, believe me, you know it, it's a, a whole different world yeah. <laughs> You have to remember, I live in an area where we're not too far from the town of Warren, which was the last, it's funny you mentioned, on the phone before that, one of the, the people that you have on quite often is a demonologist, more on the, the Catholic vein, in other words, more in the that part of the religion.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: And Warren was the town where the Catholic Church did their last exorcism in Massachusetts.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah. How
2: long ago was that?
1: That was in, I believe, 1989. Wow, so not too long ago. Oh, God, no. A um, good friend of ours, a uh, lady's name is Claudette, she lives out in the, the Chicopee area, and uh, she helped the priest on that exorcism, and they had quite a time. This was like a, a five-day ordeal. Uh, it literally was almost like the, the, you remember the Linda Blair exorcist ordeal?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Oh,
1: of course, everybody remembers that one. And it was very similar to something like that. Uh, Claudette had worked at uh, UMass Amherst at the time. They had had paranormal department, which is now defunct. But uh, they really got into it, and it was quite a battle out there. Luckily for them, they got everything done, and everything was cool. And when it was done, the the young man actually came through it unscathed. But uh, I'll tell you, that that was quite a time out there. In our case, I I have come across some, you know, demons are almost ranked. It's funny, you were talking about a smackdown before. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get into the demonic, you have to understand very much, like the angelic range, they do have a ranking.
3: The same choir system. You got it. Yeah,
1: We start, you know, in an, in an angelic system, you start from an archangel and work your way down, and with your demonic, it pretty much it goes from the, the big guy, if you want to call it that, and then it goes down to lords and so on and so forth, and then it goes down to minions. And we've come across the one of the, the really probably more bizarre or phenomenal ones was out in a town called Granville. Um, Granville is for those wondering, is the western part of the state out, in the Berkshires? Mm-hmm. And we had something that literally we documented out there, and it was it's what was considered like a, probably a pretty high-ranking demon. We're up there in probably like third or fourth position. Um, the people literally had this thing chase them from town to town. They moved several times, finally got to the point where they built a brand-new house. They had been living in an old home, and they associated it to paranormal activity in the beginning. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, maybe there's a ghost in the house, maybe it's a poltergeist, maybe it's something like that. And then they moved, they went to another house, and the same activity occurred, only it kept the frequency would increase and literally the attacks would get more and more blatant.
2: Well, I mean, at what point do you make the determination between paranormal activity, even you know, strong negative paranormal activity and demonic?
1: Well, <clears throat> for one thing, what was happening is what they had for presence was actually changing shape and form. If it, let's if it's a paranormal activity, let's say it was a ghost, an entity, or um, you know a spirit. Usually, we're, we're talking human shape. Usually, we're talking someone with a consciousness, someone that's how can I explain this? Um, you know, let's let's say Grandpa passes. Grandpa is stuck more or less, or Grandpa doesn't have closure. He's still pretty much Grandpa. You know, he, he might come across a little obnoxious, he might come across a little grumpy.
2: But he still retains the essential essence of, of who he was.
1: Right. He'll he'll attain the human essence. He's not gonna come through in a different shape, a different form, he's not gonna change shape, change form, he's not gonna probably be able to do a whole lot. You know I mean, maybe he'll scare you a bit. You know, a couple of bumps on the wall and you know, maybe you can turn the light on. Mm-hmm. But that's about all he's gonna do.
2: So the strength, the strength of the of the activity has a lot to to do with the determination.
1: That and like I said, the the one we had out in Granville was literally a shapeshifter.
2: Now, when you say that, though, uh, what exactly were you seeing when you say it's a shapeshifter?
1: First of all, it appeared as a very large serpent-like creature, um, almost like if you've ever seen the movie Anaconda. Mm-hmm. Very very similar to that. This was winter time; you could see it moving under the snow. Um, Came and then when it finally came out, and by the way, you know it's it's a dimensional being. You, you can realize that this is not, you know, I mean, it, it's not flesh and blood, it's not solid, but you got those for you. It still gives you the creeps. I mean, if you see something like this coming oh, at you, I can you, imagine, yeah. Yeah, this is not like, oh, gee, isn't that interesting? I mean, it's still going to whack the heck out of you. But this demonic presence literally turned itself from this, by the way. The other thing to do is, if you do have a circumstance like this, one of the most important things to do is find out who you're dealing with. Um, in this case, because it came through in the, the serpent shape, actually gave us a pretty good clue. And if you, you know, if there's actual, we have, I have a pretty extensive library, and one of the first things I did was have to study to find out who it was I was dealing with. And he came through as what I would consider a leviathan, which is a biblical proportion. This is a pretty good-sized demon we're working with.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: So we took it for real. By the way, the other thing was the people we were dealing with had no no prior knowledge of something like this. So the they, den-
2: they weren't like overly religious by nature? Or?
1: No, they weren't overly religious. They also didn't sit around watching the sci-fi channel. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't horror movie buffs.
2: Oh, so they really had, like, very little uh, education in the paranormal at all?
1: Really? This, this was, like, normal folk? Matter of fact, the gentleman was, he was into hunting and fishing and very, very outdoorsy, um, construction worker by trade, um, had no great belief in the paranormal. Um, the lady he was married to, a very nice lady, um, normal, you know, stay-at-home mom, couple little kids, uh, you know, she was more into the Lifetime channel than so she wasn't <laughs> anything
2: else. Well, even that has paranormal programming by now, I'm sure, but, well, yeah, but back but, uh, then they
1: didn't know. No, at the time, well, actually, this is only a couple of years ago. Really? Oh, yeah, we're, matter of fact, Discovery was in contact with us. They're interested in turning this into a, a documentary. Um, but anyway, we literally interviewed them extensively. And matter of fact, uh, Michael Sinclair from Orion Paranormal had interviewed them also, because in the beginning, they thought that you know this was a, a ghost or a poltergeist. Or, and then once we really get into it, Michael's the one that originally called us and said, guess what, guys, we've got something here that's not the ghost and not the, you know, not the, the apparition. Uh, and it gotten to the point where, and again, these people had built a brand new home. It was a beautiful French colonial out there. We're living in it for probably about three or four days when they moved out and moved into Motel 6. So, I mean, it was that bad,
5: wow.
1: you know, and some of the manifestations beyond the, the visual sightings, we're talking odors, we're talking um, little scratches on the wall. Um, and then what happened is the being changed from the Leviathan or the snake form and manifested in human form. And that's literally when they freaked. Um, when it was the snake it was bad enough, it was outside, and we can kind of sort of handle it. When it turned into the person was standing in their washroom, you know. And by the way, when they didn't speak to it, it it actually got very angry. You know, it was looking for contact from them, Mm -hmm. and they didn't know what to do. They ran upstairs. The lady ran upstairs, dropped the wash, (laughs) was on the phone to Virginia for about an hour, going like, "What do we do now?" Um,
2: And was it was it solid? Was it?
1: Oh yeah, this was this was literally a as she put it, it looked as solid as you or I. This wasn't a, a blurry apparition. This wasn't, you know, something dimensional. This was a solid-looking solid person standing at the bottom of the steps. We got there literally about a day and a half later. Um, unfortunately, it would be nice to say I'm available 24 hours a day, but unless your bed's floating across the room, you know, <laughs>
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's kind of hard. I, yeah, it is, you especially know. when you got to go out there and, and you got to put life on hold, really, because you don't know how long it's going to take you to actually do battle with this thing.
1: Well, see, that's the other thing. On television, everything's wrapped up in sixty minutes. You know, it, it looks good. um You know, it's a one-day affair, and literally, it starts. It has a total conclusion. Um, that time, you know, like boom, after the hour or the two hours in a movie, everything's done. It's, Case is closed, everyone goes home and has a happy ending. Mm -hmm. In a case like this, it had a happy ending, but we're talking literally the first encounter was like a three-day event, and then there was a month in between where it was fairly silent, and then it reverberated, it came back in. And, by the way, why would it come back in? Because you you close a portal with a demon, you you don't slay the demon. See, everybody thinks it's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm
5: -hmm.
1: You you go into the club demon, um, you know like a few demons you're all done you go home but theoretically what happens is you push it back to the dimensional plane that it came from and at that point you close the portal or you close the doorway it doesn't mean that sometimes they can't either pull back through or come back the other way
2: i mean they could always i mean uh, my assumption is that if a, a demon is you know out and looking for possession if it doesn't get it with you it just goes and tries to find its next victim
1: right it'll it'll Except there is an interesting part. Um, most of the time, there's usually some kind of catcher, usually something where it comes in. Um, they don't just, like, say, okay, it's Friday, I, I think I'll go down the Cape this weekend. Um, well, the traffic's
2: just... brutal, so I can't <laughs> imagine.
1: <laughs> yeah, stuck on Route 6, I guess I'll go <laughs> someplace else. Uh, no, there's usually something that goes on, that that like a prelude to this, where you'll find something happening or... Something amiss somewhere, or someone's been in a place, and something will kick it in.
2: Some sort of trigger? Or...
1: Yeah, i'd very seldom. You know, like gee, I was minding my own business, eating a popsicle. Suddenly, a demon popped in. Uh, doesn't usually happen that way. In mm-hmm. this case, the family have been going through quite a bit of struggle, and I don't mean religious struggle. But the, the father had been, the, the lady's father had been very ill. Um, there was a lot of stress in the family. There was a frequent, they they did move, um, and then they went to a place, the husband had been hunting, they were all out, um, went to a place, and literally it was an abandoned farm out in the Berkshires, and I honestly believe they stumbled into something. Um, This place had been abandoned for a long time. He was deer hunting, and that's the first time they had encountered this and then it attached to the family. And why did it? Because I think the stress level was so high, it said, okay, here's a good time.
2: Yeah. You know, here's
1: a time period where these people are possibly a little weaker than they might have yeah, been. Yeah, they're
2: in a state of flux and, and they're more vulnerable.
1: You got it. And it said, okay, look, I like these people. The energy is good to feed on, you know, and here we go. It's like now, a shark
3: that smells blood in the water.
1: Exactly. And boy, did it smell blood. I mean, and these people were, they're very, very nice people, you know. By the way, the, the funny part is you, you've got to imagine the scene. I had gone out there with, uh, as I put it, Michael Sinclair. And by the way, you don't take a bunch of people with you demon hunting.
3: <laughs> you also, that, as I found out, don't go alone.
1: No, well, you're right on that. You don't go by yourself, but you also don't take a sound crew. Um, one of the things I found out quite often, you know, people gee, gee, that's really interesting, can I go with you? And the answer is usually no. Um, I'll take one person, maybe two. But the idea is, what's going to happen is their energy will actually feed what you're trying to get rid of.
2: Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we've talked to, to people like John Zaffis and, and Keith Johnson, and they've they've said that when they go on demon cases, you have to take people with you that are, you know, solid in their faith and in what they believe, uh, so that because the demon's going to try to attack, you know, what it is that you believe and and try and convince you you're wrong.
1: The first thing it's going to work on is your fear.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's almost like like. Like I believe Matt said, when it's like smelling blood in the water, you know, it's literally that kind of deal. It's almost like if you go in there and you're you're very fearful, if you're very unsure of what you're doing, you're the first person it's going to come to, and it's going to look for a foothold. And, boy, when it gets the foothold, you you can get rid of it, but it's going to take a while to get rid of it. Um, And the other thing is after, I've had people that, I had a person that came with me on one encounter down in Connecticut, and the young lady said, I've always wanted to do this. I'm going go like, okay. And she seemed pretty sure of herself. After that night, that was the last time she'd ever asked to do anything. <laughs> it was like, okay, that's enough. Had enough now. Um, but the other thing is, again, I don't go looking for this specifically. You know, I mean, it's not like I spend every... I understand the poltergeist, the ghost part, the, you know, the entity part. But what we're talking about is a more rare occasion. And, by the way, that's a darn good thing because, you know, this is not exactly what I call happy time. But I, I do have to set the stage for you guys just a little bit. Um, when Michael and I arrived at the house out in Granville, it was, it's, it's going to sound like a setup for a movie, and it kind of was. It was a cold October night. You know how you get those really crisp, still nights? Oh, yeah. It was one of those. And the, the family owned a large German shepherd who was cowering in the corner of the garage. Um It was just about wetting itself. It's in the corner. They had another dog outside that was howling at the moon, and the lady's going, I don't understand. He never does this. Uh, It was that crisp kind of cold night. We walked through the door, and, of course, we were met with the homeowners with a pan of brownies. And the lady's (laughs) going, would you like coffee? (laughs) You know, and I'm going, like, okay, this is a little too surreal. Uh, you know, here we are. We're going to go get rid of this thing, and I'm, I'm you know, ladies worried like, do you, do you take cream in the in the coffee? Yeah, more
2: worried about playing the cordial host than.
1: Oh yeah, I mean it's like, hey, we're going to go get your demon, and by the way, do you want love one lump or two? <laughs> well, you know, I can't. And again, these were very, very sweet people. Um, I think probably the reason we went out the quickest was because it was starting to really affect the kids too. You know, I mean, it's one. It's bad enough when something picks on an adult when it's affecting children, especially, you know, kids are innocent, hopefully. Uh, And, you know, when it started to come in and it started to bother the children, um, the kids that had a sleepover in a house, and we had probably three out of the five kids that really witnessed something. um, You know, two kids seemed to have slept through it for some reason, but the other three kids were pretty much frightened by morning um, and basically didn't want to go back to the house. So... We had gotten in there, and by the way, if you go on the Orion Paranormal website, I don't think I think Michael still has it on there, but there's actually a picture of us in the basement of this house, um, where it says something like demonic banishings and that kind of deal on his website. Um, and again, we don't usually put that on our site; it's not my, my mainstay. But literally went in and started to work, and the the family, by the way, had borrowed religious icons from everywhere. At this point. <laughs> They had, you know, the garden variety uh, Virgin Mary that sits in the oh, backyard? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. They had one of those in the cellar by the washroom. Um, they had, I don't know how many crucifix all over the place. Um, and we did start in the basement. For some reason, it seemed to have isolated itself in the cellar. I know it had been upstairs, but for some maybe it was a comfort zone or something, but literally it had gone into the basement. Um, we had started our, an actual exorcism ritual in the basement. And by the way, we weren't exercising the people. I want you to understand, the people were not possessed.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it's from what I understand, it's a pretty, uh, it has to be pretty advanced along for somebody to get possessed.
1: Yeah, but if it were an actual case of possession, and again, that's very, very rare. I've, I've had probably in the last year, I've had three or four people that came to me and said, gee, I think I'm possessed. And most of them had other issues.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, in the in the last probably 10 years, I've had two people that I could honestly say had a demonic presence in them, and most of the other people, you know, could have anything from a suppressed ego issue to an altered personality. Uh, you know, quite often, we had a, a young lady who literally came to our house on a, a Thanksgiving Eve while my wife's stuffing the turkey, and she sat at our table croaking and groaning. <laughs> Her husband had brought her up and said, you know, I think my wife's possessed. And, of course, I'm thinking, like, why'd you come here tonight? You know, <laughs> I was like, well, where else are you going to bring her? Yeah, that's true. You know, my wife said, what do we do, dear? I said, get her a cup of tea, get the bucket out. <laughs> I keep stuffing the turkey. Um, as it turns out, the young lady had a, a latent issue from the past that had just been triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, went through a, a whole episode. And actually needed therapeutic help, but in the beginning she liked the idea that she was possessed by a demon.
2: Well, because in in some cases some people might find it an easier, quicker fix than than what might really be troubling them.
1: Right. The demon was the excuse to do all kind of different things.
2: Yeah, oh yeah. It's a, yeah, it's another thing too. It makes a really easy scapegoat.
1: Yeah. If I don't want to clean the house, if I don't want to take care of the kids, yeah. if I go out and have an affair, it's the demon. <laughs>
2: well, you know. <laughs> what hope I hope did. it didn't get that bad. It did. Oh.
1: That's why these. That's why the gentleman brought her to the house. Um, it was at the point where he said, "I love my wife dearly, but uh, there's something wrong here, and you know, I, I believe that it's demonic." And if she went right along with it. She was doing automatic writing at my table. Um, you know, the whole. And by the way, one of the triggers that told us it wasn't demonic was because the demon inside her wouldn't speak directly to me. The demon would tell her to tell me.
2: And, and will, that's de- hmm? usually they they want to talk directly to you, don't they?
1: Oh yeah, they want to they want to blast you apart. Mm-hmm. They want to show their control, and they literally want to take <clears throat> excuse me control of the event. Um, they want to let you know they're powerful. And in this case, I've got the lady going. The demon is telling me to tell you, and it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. Um, I said, why can't the demon speak to me? Well, he's too powerful. Oh, so give me a break, you know. <laughs> If you're that powerful, just talk to me. I need to, you know, and by the way, this was kind of the tone that night. You know, you got to understand, we're five hours into this thing, and the lady is basically doing dry heaves at my kitchen table. Sorry for, sorry for your listeners out there to listen to this part, but...
2: Well, dinner's over, so...
1: Well, okay, good. Yeah, dinner's over, and cocktail hour's probably here. But, uh, you know, she's at our, our kitchen table on the night before Thanksgiving, and she's, you know, croaking and groaning and writing things down for me. And finally, I asked you, of course, is just like in the movies, like I asked, you know, can you give me your name? And it's like, it pulled the old We Are Legion deal. Oh,
5: yeah.
1: I uh, yeah. It's like, okay, you've watched The Exorcist, too. <laughs> At this point, I got pretty tired of what was going on, and I, I, I did something that's kind of silly. I mean, you don't usually sit there. If there is something, you don't usually sit there and go, okay, show me what you can do. Mm-hmm. But I put a vase of flowers on the table and said, okay, if you're really this good, levitate the vase. And, of course, the girl said, well, gee, I'm I'm not that kind of demon. You know, I I don't do tricks. I said, well, okay, well, let's try a coffee cup. It's a little smaller. And then I get down to a piece of paper. Um, And by this time, by the way, the demon had announced, supposedly, that the girl was going to die at midnight, which is just like in the movies. And we kept her speaking, and we kept her there, and it turned out by the time we were done speaking to her, it was ten past twelve,
2: and she hadn't even realized.
1: No, and I said, "Excuse me, Mr. Demon," but you know, it's like, "Sorry, but it's ten past twelve, and she's still alive." Of course, she had a, a quick, you know, a quick retort on that. She said, "Well, by the way, um, I meant tomorrow night." It's like, "Okay, you know, well, you'd call the, we'd call the the health provider and lined her up with a, a clinical social worker for the morning, kept her here for the night with her husband, and." You know, literally, got her off to the dock in the morning, and come to find out, um, there had been a, a very, a very tough part of her life that had just reemerged,
5: mm-hmm.
1: and the poor girl needed a lot of help. You know, I do, I do want to let you guys know. I mean, my wife and I both have a, a lot of sympathy, and we spend a lot of time with folks. You know, I mean, it's not like we, were, I wasn't going to put the girl out in the cold.
2: Yeah, but I mean, you have to be careful because. It might be easier to say, okay, this is obviously somebody that's, that's faking possession, so why don't I fake a quick exorcism, and then they have no reason to fake it anymore. But you understand that you could be doing damage to somebody mentally. That There's a reason why they're, they're uh, perpetrating this idea.
1: Well, that's one of the big things, because her husband kept begging me to exercise her. You know, Can you exercise the demon? Can you exercise the demon? And I'm telling him, I said, look, I said, if there was a demon, we could do that. But the problem is she's showing other signs. I mean she my wife and I when you read the, the the bio there as you'll notice we're both universal universalist ministers and we both do, have done a lot of counseling and you know i'm I'm not new in the field you know we've worked on everything for, we've done marriage counseling we've done the whole nine yards and you can see the psychological triggers so I'm not about to just jump in there and think, okay, this poor girl's possessed. Um, even though she was exhibiting some pretty interesting physical signs, you know, she was very good at, at the, you know, like the, you know, the gacking and the, the choking.
2: She was a good actress. Oh, yeah, she
1: changed. And I don't think, I can't theoretically say she was acting. Um, I believe at the time she had an altered personality. You know, I think she believed to a degree, but you could literally tell that it wasn't a demon. And that's not the only one we've had like that. We've had several of them like that. You know, I had a guy coming in. I had a guy about three or four weeks ago come up and tell me he was Ball, which is the number two demon. Ball is the demon that literally is supposed to be the commander of the infernal armies for Armageddon.
2: So he's probably a little bit too busy. Yeah.
1: Um, the, the guy was a, the, the young man was a college student. And by the way, evidently not a really good one at, you know, at a junior college. <laughs> and well, <laughs> one of the things during the interview I said to him, and I didn't mean to say it, but. I said, if you're really bald, why aren't you possessing, like, George Bush or, you know, Tony Blair?
2: Someone a little bit more powerful than a college student?
1: Yeah, it seems to me if I'm the infernal demon that's going to literally recreate Armageddon, I'm going to be with somebody who's going to push the button, you know, not somebody who's, like, first-year student at a junior college. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the way, bald didn't seem to have an answer for me, Um, you know. And everything that he displayed were all stories. In other words, there was no physical manifestation. He, he didn't have a credible backup. Um, every, it was all hearsay. People told me this, and people tell me this has happened. and people During the night, some of the people in my dorm say this has happened, but there was no credible evidence that anything had ever really happened. Um, again, we went to the other end. I literally suggested counseling for the gentleman. And I told him, I said, you should see your dorm advisor, possibly get a counselor right now. You know, I said, maybe the stress is a bit much. And, by the way, he didn't like my answer, just to let you know.
2: Oh, uh, I can imagine, yeah.
1: Yeah, he turned tail and told me, it was like, okay, you're nuts. I'll go find, you know, I'll go talk to a priest. And I was thinking to myself, good. Um,
2: <laughs> I think the priest is going to be a little bit less likely to believe you than, than Gary would be.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I stay pretty open. You know, I mean, I. By the way, I don't like. I tell you, I, we we've been out there. We've encountered some pretty bizarre stuff. But on the on the flip side of it, I'm the first one to say, you know, literally is a far a far greater line between mental health and possession.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Ah, by by the way, just getting back to the Granville part, if you don't mind. Sure. And by the way, sorry to be so. I, I'm kind of running at the mouth tonight. No,
2: we're uh, we're just sitting here fascinated by what the stories that you're sharing with us.
1: Okay, good, good, good. Um,
2: we do have to take a break in a, in a few seconds, but
1: okay. Well, if you if you'd like, we can hold the rest of the story until after the break.
2: Okay. Um, well, and we also have a caller on the line too, so oh, great. We want to get to that before we uh, get to the news at eight o'clock. So why don't we why don't we take a quick commercial, and then when we come back, we'll we'll go to the call and then we can wrap up that story.
1: That would be wonderful.
2: All right. So we are talking with Gary McKinstry. He is a psychic medium, a paranormal investigator, and a demonologist. Do you call yourself a demonologist?
1: I really I don't usually use the term demonologist. Um, psychic investigator, uh, paranormal investigator. The demonology part is something I do, but I don't usually use that as a title.
2: But but that is what we are talking about tonight. We're talking about demonology because he will be at the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society's free open meeting next Friday night. And we'll, When we come back, we'll give you all the details of how you can go to that meeting. It's free, so you might as well go. I mean, because... Uh, to, to be able to hear Gary tell these stories in person and to talk to him and share your own questions and thoughts you know that's a rare occurrence for for somebody who you're a little bit further out from Cape Cod so yeah just a bit <laughs> so to get you uh, down here everybody should take full advantage but we'll be right back here on spooky south coast
3: and I said hello i believe it's time to go
0: devil, what walkin' inside by side. Spooky South Coast is bad. Me a devil, Ooh.
2: All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast, the, the sounds of the great Robert Johnson, who uh, made a deal with the devil, and we will be doing a show on that sooner or later. Well, we are just trying to put it all together, but uh, we do have a great show lined up on Robert Johnson when we can get to it. Uh, why don't we uh, get back into it with our guest tonight, Gary McKinstry, and uh, we have a caller on the line who's been patiently holding, hopefully, so let's go to the phones. Good evening, you're on, oh, good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hello? Oh, I can hear them.
0: Hi,
1: you can. I can't.
2: Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I guess, uh, maybe they got tired of hanging on,
1: so. Yeah, it could be a demon. You never know. <laughs>
2: well, if you have any questions or any thoughts that you want to share with Gary and with the spooky crew here, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508 500 We have about 10 minutes left before the eight o'clock CBS News. And then when we come back, we'll talk more with Gary. And then I think we're here all the way till 925 tonight. So you're welcome to stay with us the whole time, Gary, if you want, or, uh, we can just, uh, We'll keep you as long as we can keep you.
1: Well, we'll, we'll chat a while longer. I don't mind. So. Sounds
2: sounds good to me. All right. Well, then, uh, why don't you share with us though that you were going to get back to the Granville story?
1: Yeah, The Granville story was, like I said, that was a, a fairly intense deal. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things that you have to understand that because of the demon part, we're, we're talking. It's. I have to use the term interdimensional. You know, people don't quite. I don't think they quite understand that this is not something that isn't always there when you're talking about a demonic presence literally you're talking an interdimensional being people think okay we we talk about angelic realms we talk about demonic realm uh, and it sounds like they're a separate realm like they're hidden someplace on the planet but technically they're in just i'll have to use a a, a, lack of a better term again another dimension let's say
2: they're, they're not in our plane of consciousness
1: right and what happens is they, they slip through, they cross through. And in a case like this, one of the hardest things to do sometimes is, again, to, even though you, we knew it was there, even though you could feel it in the house, even though it showed itself, the night we were there was to get it to come out. You know, it's like, okay, it's here. And it really didn't want to talk. You know, that night it seemed very comfortable with the people. You know, it was having a great time with the homeowners. It was having a wonderful time. You know, it was creeping the kids out but really didn't want to hit, hit the other point when Michael and I were there. And Michael, you know, like I said, Michael is very, very spiritual, and he's very has a, a lot of conviction. That's one of the reasons we went together. You know, the funny thing is when we were leaving that night, that's the first time I think my wife ever told me to be careful. She <laughs> gave me the creeps just a little bit. You know, normally it's like, okay, hon, you know go do what you got to do. And life don't is don't cool. bring anything home with you. Oh, she tells me, me that every night. <clears throat> it's like, okay, go do what you got to do, but... Make sure you leave them there.
2: Yeah, leave work at work.
1: Yeah. but well, This was one of those nights where literally, um, again, be, maybe it was the setting, you know, I could say October, and it was cold, and the whole nine yards, and she knew what we were up against. But I did leave, and I did have, I, I usually go with the, the, the idea in my brain that I'm, this is a job. <clears throat> Excuse me one second. <clears throat> this is my job in life. In other words, like, when I'm doing this, this is all I'm thinking about That at that moment. You know, I'm not thinking about you know, gee, we have a mortgage payment to do. I'm not thinking about that. The cat needs to go to the vet. Literally, you're locked in on what you're doing. And going in with the most conviction. And at that moment, like I said, when I got there, and Michael was on the same wavelength, we got in and we started working. And for people, you know, who are curious, there's a step-by-step process. And one of the things is to purify the house. You know, today a lot of people use something like, they'll use sage to, to cleanse the house, or mm-hmm. they use this, they use that. But if you're talking the demonic realm, the sage really isn't going to work. You know, it's like, gee, nice smell, glad you burnt it, but um, a little different than that. Mm -hmm. What you do in a case like that is, (laughs) excuse me, use a lot of, it's almost the old, I'll use the term old magic. Even if you get into religion, it's still the old magic. Uh, At that time, again, I was, I literally have a rite of exorcism I was using. I was using a rose oil over the doors, the windows. Uh, had holy water that we were sprinkling throughout the house. Uh, afterwards, we purified the place with frankincense and myrrh. Uh, I was using a dragon's blood incense during that time period to kind of drive it from. But the whole, the, the original ritual, took and I, I have to use the word ritual, took a, over an hour to just purify the house. And by the way, I even went dressed. In other words, I was in vestments that night. I wasn't in street clothes, I wasn't in, I was in full collar, full regalia, um, right down, you know, I mean, this was 100% like, boom, I'm going in there looking to fight this thing. Sure. And, I, you know, by the way, it looked kind of like in the movies, right down to the black bag, you know, walked up to the, the house.
2: A little black, like doctor's bag?
1: Yep, doctor's bag, way we have the doctor's bag we go in with, and all, every, all the paraphernalia in there, and, you know, went in and started working. And about two and a half hours later, had gotten done blessing the house. And then we were sitting there. By the way, we did have the brownies at that point. (laughs) They're pretty good brownies, too. Uh, But at that point, we took a break for a while, and it had gotten very quiet. Um, No wind, nothing was stirring. The dog had stopped howling by this point. And that's when it got crazy again. At that point, it seemed like one more blast came through. And everything from the obnoxious odors to literally vision to... It was like it gave it its last gasp that evening. Mm-hmm. And drove it back down. Kept doing the same. We went back over the same ritual, back over the same. And, by the way, a lot of it is repetitive. You know, that part is similar to the movies where you're closing something. It's almost like to keep, keep focus, keep it in your mind. And at that point, you're not playing with it. When I talked about the young lady who was basically thought she was possessed I, I thought we were pretty safe by asking certain questions mm-hmm. in this case you could tell it was real and i wasn't about to sit there and go oh well, gee show me what you can do this was more like no you you have no credence in this plane or dimension you have to go back and by the way it's not a it's not a question people take the wrong mode here what happens is if someone's someone goes out and decides to be the demonologist or they're, they're going to go out and cleanse a house, first thing they usually do is they go in and say, would you please leave? You know, I'm asking you to leave. Well, you don't ask anything at a point like this. What you no. do is, no. <laughs> you, you do that. You, you don't dead. want to
2: give it the, uh, you, you don't want to even give it the the politeness, you know what I mean?
1: No, what you do is you go in there in a commanding nature, in a commanding tone, and that's, at that point you're in control of. It's almost like rallying the troops and, and being the general at that moment. Mm-hmm. You go in there in a commanding presence, and you perceive the ritual. You do the ritual, uh, and force it literally back to its dimensional plane. And at that point, what you do is you seal the portal or the hole. In other words, literally seal it. And when that's done, you know, then you hold back a little while. And it, this went on for quite a while that evening. You know, that this wasn't like okay, the two hours, then we took a break, went back for fifteen minutes. This was a whole evening. And finally. I think it had to be like 3 o'clock in the morning, everything finally, you could feel it. It's like it started to lift. And interestingly enough, when I said started to lift, it's a feeling in the air. It's a feeling energetically. We went from, even though it's still like 3 o'clock in the morning, it's still dark. You could almost feel the house lighten. You could feel the presence lighten. Is
2: that, that palpable?
1: Oh, it is. It's like night and day. You know, At this point, it's like, okay, we've made our point. You've crossed back into your dimension, and now we're sealing the portal or we're sealing the doorway. Uh, and, again, I'm not foolish enough to think that if I seal it there that it can't pop someplace else. I mean, it could, for all I know, it could pop in Bangladesh, you know.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: It doesn't mean it's going to pop down the street or, at you know, three blocks down. And there's a good chance that, you know, it will seal it. One of the big problems we had was the other thing is sometimes people miss things after. And this is going to sound very strange, but when you go through a traumatic experience like this, it's normal to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people almost miss the excitement.
2: Yeah, I, no, I can understand what you mean.
1: Yeah. so it's the adrenaline like, addiction. Yeah. You know, for a while there are stars in your neighborhood. Yeah, well. Well, you know what I mean.
2: I know what you mean, yeah, exactly.
1: You know, this is the haunted house, this is the demon house, this is the spook house. And to get back to normal life, and what had happened was they had told somebody the story leaked out, and suddenly they had people that wanted to do interviews and people that wanted to do, you know, I wanted to do this. Even, like I said, Discovery got in and said, gee, we'd like to shoot a segment. Mm -hmm. And we had to have a little roundtable discussion, because the first thing was we told even Discovery, we said, look, if you're going to do this, it's going to have to be a recreation. It's going to have to be with actors. It's going to have to be off location because you don't
2: you don't want to create the uh, you don't want to create the environment to bring it back in.
1: No, I'm not going to reopen these people up to the thing that they, they really wanted to get rid of. And <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> after we were done, we sat with these people for quite a while and discussed just this very thing. That look, now that <clears throat> now that the family is comfortable, now that this thing is back to where it belongs. What we don't want you guys doing is almost bringing it back in involuntarily. It doesn't mean you can never speak about it, but it's almost like it's time to get back to your normal, everyday life.
2: Yeah, you don't want to make a, an invite.
1: No, that, and that's even in the beginning when I said about not bringing a large group of
2: people with us. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the news tones coming up. Okay. <laughs> hate to cut you off, but... Not a problem. Oh, it just... This is outstanding just to, to be able to hear this firsthand experience. So we'll we'll talk more with Gary in the second hour after the week in Weird. We'll talk more about some of his experiences, and I want to get his opinion about all the newfound demonologists as well. So stay tuned for more here on Spooky South Coast.
3: Everything is... as it was. That's right, boys. Spooky South Coast is burned. I hate this. I like to torture him. I
5: can smell you with I'm not afraid. You will. <laughs>
2: To happen, Welcome back, hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, silent assassin Matt Costa to my right, science advisor Matt Moniz to my left. And uh, we are talking with uh, psychic investigator Gary McKinstry. Uh, we'll get back into the discussion with him in just a few minutes. Uh, uh, just some fascinating stuff. He just recounting some, some case studies of being out in the field and going up against the demonic. He'll be talking more about demonology this Friday night at the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society's free open meeting. Uh, it's, it, they're calling it Demonology 101. Come and explore the other world. In a world of microchips and weapons of mass destructions, We still hold on to an alternate reality. They are demons, creatures of the dark, shadow people, possession, and fallen angels. Gary and Virginia McKinstry have heard it all firsthand. Come and experience an evening of fact, fiction, and personal accounts. Questions and answer periods, welcome and encouraged. It will be this Friday, June 29th at Lecture Hall B of Cape Cod Community College from 7 to 9 p.m., and of course, the cost is free. Donations always accepted, and you know we we highly recommend that you drop a couple dollars in the bucket to help Derek and the crew, because they put on these great open meetings for free every month, and they they bring in some. Terrific guests, Rosemary Allen Guiley, Jeff Belanger, but they also have their own members uh, who delve into some some topics and some discussions, and they just do a great job putting all that information out there. And, you know, if you're interested in the paranormal and and you're just getting your foot into the door, it's a great place to go and to learn a little bit more. So we hope to see you there Friday night. Uh, I know I'll be there. I don't know what you guys have planned, but I know I'll be there. And uh, we will talk to Gary there as well. Now, if you're also going to be in the – Warwick area tomorrow. Uh, they're not taking walk-ins. It says right on the website they're not taking walk-ins. But uh, for those of you who are going tomorrow to the Paranormal 101 classes with Kristen Gartland at TAPS headquarters, Matt Moniz and myself will be there. And uh, we're, we're leaving Matt Costa behind because he's going he's to work. Yeah. He's going to work. And
3: we're going to be put to work once we get there. Yeah, we'll like. be
2: handing out papers. She's she's basically going to use us as the teacher's aides. You know, We're the teacher's assistants. So uh, it'll be our job to like sit in the back of the class and make sure nobody chews gum you know, make sure that if somebody brings crackers, they share enough with the rest of the class. But uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting uh, class. We'll come back next week and share with you uh, our thoughts of, of how it goes. And there's there's still some space left in the later July classes, I think. But if you go to the theatlanticparanormalsociety.com, you can find out more information there. And uh, just a little bit of a, a self-plug here. And that's uh, tomorrow night, Sunday night, I will be a guest on Celtic Stuff Live Internet Radio. Uh, if you go to celticsblog.com, you can hear it on their website from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll be on at about 9:15, following play-by-play announcer Mike Gorman. But uh, we're actually going to kind of mold what it is. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a sports writer. I cover the Boston Celtics, and I'm also a lifelong Celtics fan. And I'm a little bit upset. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm a little bit upset with the way things are going. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to share my opinions with the Celtics stuff live group, but also. Uh JB, one of the hosts of Celtic Stuff Live, is, is has a great interest in the paranormal as well. And we're going to cross Spooky South Coast with Celtic Stuff Live, and we're going to talk about what is cursing the Boston Celtics. Why is it that for the last 20 years they haven't been able to win a championship? They've had all these negative factors that have worked against them. Is there something from the other side preventing them from being able to to move on and, and to, to win banner number 17? I think there is. I think there's something negative happening there. I
3: guess that leprechaun ain't so lucky.
2: No, no, and especially uh, especially the last few years, and with the recent draft lottery. So we're going to get into all of that. And for those of you who are, you know, a big believer in fate, and and uh, not the magazine, I'm talking about the, the, uh, you know, the the cosmic happenings. But uh, if you want to call them, both. exactly, yeah. If you want to call in and share your thoughts and opinions, they'll be taking calls as well. So Celtic Stuff Live, Internet Radio. Uh, I'll be on about 9.15, and we can get into all of this, so we welcome your calls. Just go to com for more information. They are updating their server today, but it should be up and ready uh, for tomorrow. So that's the self-plug section of the show. Uh, well, before we finish the self-plug, I'll mention Wednesday night chat, SpookySouthCoast.com. dot com. talk live about the paranormal with the spooky crew. And uh, that's that's it. Live streaming Celtics radio show. Okay, I think it's time for, uh, for the news.
1: Well, I got a great show for you today? What's so wonderful? Ooh, stuff. Yeah, gotta be, gotta
5: be, bring the week. I feel, I feel so very weird.
2: <laughs> the Week in Weird. Okay, we'll start with our, our first story here. Uh, you know, a gentleman that we're friends with here closely on Spooky South Coast, we, we play theme music all the time, Herman Munster. Uh, and uh, Herman Munster gets the last laugh on ID Thief. This is an AP story that ran in the Boston Herald earlier this weekend. And, and Herman Munster has a pretty distinct laugh. So uh, either of you guys want to take a no, stab I, didn't do it. Okay. <laughs> no. I know you do the darn, darn, darn pretty darn, darn. well. Darn, darn. But uh, he got the last boisterous laugh on an ID Thief. Uh, did Internet Thieves steal TV icon Herman Munster's MasterCard number? Crooks in an underground chat room where stolen credit card numbers are horse-traded purpo- uh, purportedly offered pilfered data about the 1960s Frankenstein-like character from the Munster sitcom. The thieves apparently didn't realize Herman was a made-up character and offered to sell personal details, even accurately listing Munster's address from the TV series as 1313 Mockingbird Lane. The data had Munster's birth date as August fifteenth, nineteen 1964 suspiciously close to the TV series' original air date in September of 64. Herman Munster is portrayed by Fred Gwynn, who died in July of 1993. Card Cops Incorporated, the Malibu, California Internet Security Company, that recorded the illicit transaction, surmised that a Munster's fan deliberately provided the bogus data. The identity thief thought it was a good idea, said company chief Dan Clements. He said the thief, known online as Supra, was likely overseas, so uh, he's probably not watching reruns of the Munsters on TV land, Clements said. So uh, it's it's you know I I'm just surprised to know there's these chat rooms where they share people's personal information they can sell you know your identity for somebody else to use and, uh, and so somebody sold Herman Munster I mean just the name Herman Munster would probably give something away I did not realize it though well if they're overseas you know maybe they've they've never had you know they've, they've never seen the show maybe. but I don't know and 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 you know if there really is you know identity of of a real Herman Munster uh, I hope he's just as big and scary as the fictionalized one, and he takes care of those guys when he finds out who it was. All right. Matt Moniz, what do you have for us?
3: I got something from the Metro in the UK. Great paper,
2: by the way. Not just because they used to pay me.
3: (laughs) Okay. A paranormal investigator claimed he is in line to win one million pounds after betting he could prove the existence of the afterlife. Ross Hemsworth, 49, of Glastonbury, has placed a 100-pound bet with the odds of 10,000 to 1 that he will provide evidence of an afterworld beyond a reasonable doubt. If the self-titled scientific investigator of anomalous phenomena is proved correct, not only will he bag the money, but he will also become one of the most famous men in modern history. The evidence must be provided and accepted by bookmakers William Hill before the end of the year or the business entrepreneur will lose his bet. He said, quote, There is something out there trying to make contact. With the evidence we've got, we are not a million miles away from proving it, but the whole point of the project is to prove that there is something there. More and more people are coming away from religion. There are more and more wars, and if we can prove this, we would hope it will make some difference to people's lives. He added that, voice communication, video, and photography would be among the evidence he would produce. William Hill, spokesman for Graham Sharpie, said that it is an unusual bet, but we are used to making bets of this nature in matters of the bizarre, and as evidence of Loch Ness Monster or whether Elvis Presley is still alive and when UFOs may land, or maybe even when the existence of ghosts are provided. This is the time we have taken. Sorry, this is the first time we have ta- ever taken a bet that conclusive proof of the existence of the a- afterlife will be forthcoming. I have no idea what the evidence may be, but if Ross produces it before the end of the year, we will be paying him one million pounds.
2: So, if his uh, if his evidence is uh, interesting enough, he can take James Randi, the Amazing Randi's um, one million one million dollar challenge as well. So. He could walk away with a, a million U.S. and a million pounds. and
3: Which would wind up being total of almost three million. Yeah, total.
2: so that's not a bad deal if you can prove it. But uh, let's see what evidence he comes up with. We'll keep an eye on that story, of course. Uh, stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com for any updates. And Matt Costa, time to not be so silent. What do you got for us?
4: From Tara, India, Claims, claims by villagers that a Bigfoot-like hairy giants are roaming the jungles of India's remote northeast and have prompted authorities to order an investigation. The bizarre sightings have been made in the Garo Hills close to the borders near Bangladesh. A team of wildlife officials and other experts will conduct a study to find out if there's any truth to the locals' claims about these hairy giants. The villagers are calling Mandy Burung or the Jungle Man. No no, Jungle Man jokes? Not yet. My hair is just? Not yet. No. All right. We're building them up. All right. <laughs> the creatures have apparently ta- been talked about and occasionally spotted for years, but sightings have increased in, in the past month, prompting authorities to look into the matter. One lo- f- local farmer said he had seen an entire family of, of the creatures. The sighting, the sight was frightening. Two adults and two, two smaller ones, huge and bulky and very furry. One Garo Hills group, has been trying to verify the creature's existence for over 10 years, photographing footprints and, quote, nests reported by the locals. The claim, the group claims to have hair samples of the creature and taken from the forest and will send them for DNA testing.
2: So, right, do, you, there you go. do you not want me to go with the obvious, uh, then? Is, is
4: I have not been to India. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, there, there are rumors that you are part of the Sasquatch tribe. Uh, the, but, uh... Seriously, I mean, you're, you're somebody that has an interest in these different types of creatures yes. and, and, and you follow these stories. Uh, if you found out you were related to them, I mean, would you keep the story under wraps or, or would you, you know, go public with that information?
4: Um, it would depend, I guess. All right,
2: because, you know, uh, once you find out they're actually family, then you've got to take yeah. into account their, their privacy concerns.
4: I don't know. If I find if if I out that they're related to me, they'll start knocking on my door, wanting to sleep on my couch.
2: Yeah, and they're probably uh, smelly.
4: I, I do have a truck, so they'll help, want me to help them.
2: Yeah, they'll be like, hey, uh, <laughs> can I borrow your
4: truck? So
2: so uh, in, that, in that case, my dad is a Sasquatch, then, because uh, <laughs> he's always borrowing mine. But uh, all right, we have a new segment here on the Week and Weird. It's the Week and Weird Reader Story of the Week. Reader Story of the Week. Listener Story of the Week. Uh, sorry, I was in newspaper mode for a second there. The Listener Story of the Week, uh, what you can do is if you go to the com website, click on the message board, sign up, Go to the Week and Weird thread. You can post strange and unusual stories. If we read the story that you posted, we will not only give you credit, but now we have a fabulous radio prize: red Look, snapper. Not a red snapper, oh. very tasty.
4: By the way. <laughs>
2: you can get a Spooky South Coast bumper sticker just by submitting a story to the Week and Weird thread there. And if we read it on the air, you are the winner. We'll contact you, let you know you've won. And uh, this week's winner, the first ever winner, is Jim D, who posted this on SpookySouthCoast.com. Three-century-old manuscripts by Isaac Newton calculating the exact date of the apocalypse, detailing the precise dimensions of the ancient temple in Jerusalem, and interpreting passages of the Bible, exhibited this week for the first time, lay bare the little-known religious intensity of a man many considered history's greatest scientist. Newton, who died 280 years ago, is known for laying much of the groundwork for modern physics, astronomy, math, and optics. But in a New Jerusalem exhibit, he appears as a scholar of deep faith who also found time to write on Jewish law, even penning a few phrases in careful Hebrew letters and combining the Old Testament's Book of Daniel for clues about the world's end. The documents purchased by a Jewish scholar at a Sotheby's auction in London in 1936 have been kept in safes at Israel's National Library in Jerusalem since 1969, available for decades only to a small number of scholars they've never before been shown to the public. In one manuscript from the early 1700s, Newton used the cryptic Book of Daniel to calculate the date for the apocalypse, reaching the conclusion that the world would end no earlier than 2060. It may end later, he wrote, but I see no reason for it ending sooner. However, he added, this I mentioned not to assert when the time of the end shall be, but to put a stop to the rash conjectures of fanciful men who are frequently predicting the time of the end, and by doing so bring the sacred prophecies into discredit as often as their predictions fail. So the Newton papers are said to complicate the idea that science is diametrically opposed to religion. So just outstanding uh, stuff. Uh, from Jim D for sharing that story with us i mean so so often we talk about in history the separation between the church and science and, and to see somebody like newton you know so based in faith in a lot of his studies uh, definitely changes a lot of people's perspective
3: he was a man of all faiths actually
2: i mean to be able to to you know to to write about stuff in jewish uh, jewish law and to be able to write in hebrew and i mean you have to really be he a was, renaissance man.
3: Well, yeah, he was a renaissance man back in the renaissance. Were, exactly.
2: <laughs> but, uh, we, uh, we, well, exactly. But we'll we keep up to date on this story, too. Uh, we're we're going to be talking to uh, Philip Gardner in the future, who uh, has been writing a number of books on, on secret societies, and he wrote one, uh, The Ark, the Shroud, and Mary. So there, there's a lot of uh, this strange stuff uh, about the biblical history that's not getting out there. So we're going to talk to Philip Gardner, I think, sometime in July, uh, and we'll talk to him about some of this stuff as well. So... But uh, right now we will take a break. When we come back on the other side, we will be back into discussion with Gary McKinstry talking about demonology. Stay tuned here on Spooky South Coast.
0: Lost
1: civilizations, extraterrestrials, myths and monsters, missing persons, magic and witchcraft, unexplained
4: phenomena.
2: For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate is a factual magazine containing articles by experts in all walks of life and by others just like you who have had something dynamic, significant and truthful to say. Keep up with the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To subscribe, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at Fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits.
0: Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back.
3: The devil bowed his head because he knew that he'd been beat. And he laid that golden fiddle on the ground at Johnny's feet. Johnny said, devil, just come on back if you ever want to try again. Because I told you once, you son of a gun, I'm I the best there's ever been.
2: Thank you for that, Silent Assassin, for not getting us in trouble with WBSM management, for playing the unedited version of The Devil Went Down in Georgia. I know better. Yeah. Well, I don't know if people out there are familiar with the original lyrics, but I'm sure they are. But uh, let's get back into the discussion right now with Gary McKinstry. He is a, a psychic, uh, a medium, a, para, a professional tarot reader, and a paranormal investigator. Uh, he's an associate member of Orion Paranormal, and he is talking to us tonight about demonology which is what his subject will be at the Cape and Islands Open Meeting this Friday night. Go to capers.com for more. C A I P R S dot com. And uh, if you have any call, uh, any comments or questions for Gary, give us a call. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, And uh, we will take your calls. Uh, now, Gary, uh, we took a call off the, off the air uh, during the the news break. Uh, Keith Johnson is going to give us a call, and he'd like to talk to you as well.
1: That would be wonderful.
2: Up. So I, I, I don't know if you've, you've ever met Keith in person or...
1: No, I haven't. Okay. But I, by the way, I have met you, you mentioned Jeff Belanger. Yes. And I did the... Uh, he was doing some research on Ouija boards and he stopped by the house one day. Uh, what a great kid. He is. I shouldn't call him a kid, but what a great guy. Uh, the mayor, writing,
2: mayor of ghostvillage.com.
1: Yes, he was writing a book, um, The Truth About Ouija Boards, or one of those... You know, it was, it was a good book. Uh, and I, I do want to plug... The fact that we're in Ghost Hunters of America by Dan Asfar. Okay. You can get that through Lone Pine Publishing. So if you want to read some more of our exploits, uh, we have a couple of stories in that thing too. Uh, actually, one of them is the ghost in the machine shop. It's not a demon, but we had a we had a ma- haunted machine shop. We actually had to clear out for somebody.
2: Wow. Well, yeah,
1: their second shift was quitting because they kept getting scared.
2: Uh, what kind of activity was going on? He was he
1: was actually pretty fun. Uh, About 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, he'd turn on the computers, and he'd play with all the dials on the milling machines. Uh, Basically, we'd come through, he would take the paper towels off the rack, uh, move cups and glasses during their break time, and every now and then he'd show himself. And when we were there, we got an audible laugh out of him, which was really fun.
2: He wasn't, like, causing anybody's fingers to go into the machines or anything? No, he, he
1: was pretty benign, but unfortunately what happened is that the people in the machine shop were... A little too spooked, and they needed to get back to work. And you know, it's kind of like they they started to lose people. And not yeah. everybody's into ghosts.
2: No, and <laughs> and some people start to really worry uh, about their own sanity when they do have a paranormal experience.
1: Oh yeah, so we we literally went in. And we we had to cleanse the place and, and get. And he, I felt bad because he he was just interested in what was going on. You know, it was a lot of electrical equipment in there. He had a real good feed. Uh, he could come through really good, and he was just inquisitive. It wasn't. He was a nice guy. You know, it wasn't like he was some kind of mean, nasty, horrible spirit. He was just having fun.
2: And he certainly wasn't some of the demonic cases like uh, we were talking about earlier.
1: No, but, you know, I'm glad we're we're back on the air, because I did want to bring up a couple of things. And one is the fact that not every demon is Christian. Um, You know, I've been out there a long time, and I've worked in different circumstances. One of the things we had to deal with at one point was what's called a fetch.
2: Ah. Yeah. Well, for those unfamiliar, because I'm not,
1: a fetch is literally, it's its very much like a familiar. It comes more from magic than it comes from the demon world. Okay. And it's something that's created. It's called upon to do something. It's, it's, someone brings it out as a service. In other words, it's, it's almost like an indentured servant.
3: Similar to a minion, only except controlled by mortals. It was originally designed as a magical uh, form of attack. That's absolutely correct. Oh, you're really on the money.
2: He's reading a book. A book. Oh, okay. No, I'm just no he's not. No, no he's not. I'm not. Uh, he's, he's no, I, I studied
3: religions as a hobby, and uh, most people don't realize that a lot of this material that we're talking about in terms of paranormal extend well beyond the original origins of monotheism.
1: Oh God, yes. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, they don't understand that there's actually Christian magic. Yeah. You know, I mean, but. Going back to those days, literally I had a a young, if if you don't mind me telling a little bit of a story. I I, I had a young Wiccan, and the guy had really irritated someone. The lady that he irritated was what's known as a Grigri. It's basically a...
3: Ooh, Clash of the Titans. You got it. A New Orleans-styled witch.
1: And literally irritated her. He was very, kind of a pompous little guy, and he got to the point where he really irritated the heck out of her. And she sent a fetch and attached it to him. And he was trying his <laughs> darndest to get rid of it. You know, he's doing the pentagrams, he's doing the salt, he's you know, doing all the earth magic and this and that. And he just couldn't figure it out. And this thing plagued him day after day after day to the point where he came and he said, look, I got this thing, I can't get rid of it, I don't know what the heck to do. He said, it's not, you know, the fact that it's going to kill me or anything, but 3 o'clock in the morning I get this howling in my head and I get all these things going on. And you could you had tell- to apologize, right? Well, beyond the apology, he had to understand that it wasn't Wiccan. Yeah, you know, he's using earth magic or you know his form of magic, and this thing literally had no basis. You know, it's sitting there looking at him like, okay, this is really fun, but what are you doing? You know, it's kind of like when you mentioned we're, we're you know crossing theologies here,
5: mm-hmm.
1: and the Fetch could have cared less about the pentagram he was using, or could have cared less about the fact that he's throwing sea salt at it. <laughs> it's like, okay, how you do you kid. find
2: how do you find what works then?
1: Basically, I asked it what it was. Um, crazy as it sounds, I said, where did she get you? I mean, you, this, when I say this, you have to understand it, it, I'm. I was in what's considered a mild transform. I was sitting there, I'm talking to this thing, like we're having a little conversation. It was very, you know, it didn't bother me. It, didn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't connected to me at all. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, um, she had pulled it out of more of a, <clears throat> more of a Jewish religion. So she used, she had crossed religion, she pulled something from, used it against him, and literally had to do something to to say, actually we used a a Solomon's pentacle. I I happen to have a pentacle that would work pretty good on this thing, and basically sent it back to where it belonged. And by the way, I think it was relieved to go back. It was almost like it didn't want to be here. So it wasn't like, gee, you know, I'm really. It was more like, okay, I got to hang out. I got yeah, to. I have
2: to do this.
5: Yeah,
1: it's almost like I got to go to work now. I got to bother this guy for the next eight hours. I got to do my thing. And when we released it, I honestly thought I heard a sigh. It was almost like, oh, good, I'm gone now. So that was a fetch, but that's not, again, theoretically not a demon, but comes across almost as one.
2: Well, that brings up an interesting question, though. With demons, is, you know, are they just so? rooted in evil and negativity, uh, that they have to do this? Or is there ever just a, you know, I mean, I know it sounds weird to say, but is there ever just a, a demon that's not evil, that's just, uh, you know, not hell-bent on cosmic destruction?
1: Like it's, it's a, my job.
2: Yeah, yeah, almost like, you know, like a, is there a blue-collar demon?
1: Yeah, it's funny when you mention the word minions.
2: Yeah.
1: They're not really like I want to terrorize everybody. Um, they're they're kind of nasty and they're kind of grumpy.
3: I call them drunken spirits.
1: You pretty much, you know, it's almost like okay, look, you know, I'm here, I got to do my thing, you know, uh, you know, irritable, and but they're not really all that that nasty in that respect. And you're right, they're kind of like drunken demons. They'll mess things up. They're, you know, when they talk about Murphy's Law, the kind of deal, mm-hmm. that's more where they're at. They really don't have a ton of power. They'll scare you a little bit. They'll spook you a little bit, and they seem to enjoy it to a degree. But they're not really gonna, you know, they're not gonna tear a hole in the in the stratosphere. They're not gonna like, you know, create Armageddon.
2: What is the goal then, when when demons uh, attempt to uh, possess and and to infest? What is it that they're trying to accomplish? What's their what's their ultimate goal?
1: It feels good, um, <laughs> to a great degree, to have a human form to come across in this dimension, to have a host, mm-hmm. to be able to be flesh and blood in this dimension, and to have literally senses like you and i let's say you're a, let's say you're a, a demon in another dimension and you can cross here and suddenly you have all these wonderful feelings all these wonderful things and you have control over it gee that's a pretty big deal
3: but that's also the downfall that's uh, that that also provides their vulnerability
1: well it almost makes them human Yes. You know, I mean, once they're in, and it's like, okay, wait a minute. Um, here's my host, and hey, my host has a sinus infection. Guess what? You know, not a good thing for them in one respect. And I, I want to go even beyond the fetch and go into like the Middle Eastern philosophy. If you talk to someone who's Hindu, the they'll understand what a flange is.
5: Ah.
1: A flange is literally an entity that's created by us. It's it's dark. It's almost demonic. It's almost like taking all the negative thoughts and putting them on a higher plane, and they collect. And then when they come back, they come back in a different form. They actually take a shape, they take a form. When um, you mentioned, again, we mentioned Jeff Belanger before, and I know he was writing a book on shadow people. And quite often shadow people are almost <clears throat> in line with what's known as the flange, which is a negative entity or a negative creation on another plane, but it's created more through a thought process. It's almost like when people, you know how they always say, um, when people do a prayer circle, they'll send positive energy to someone that's ill, um, and the more positive energy you get out there, the more it manifests. Mm -hmm. Well, if you take all the negative energy on the flip side of it and send it out, and it goes on and beyond, it also creates itself on another dimensional form and comes back as what's known as a flangee.
2: Well, we've talked here in the past, too, about tulpas. Is that similar, or are those created... I mean, from what I understand, with tulpas, they're created with more of a, a benign uh, purpose, but then they come back as negative.
1: They get out of control. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like, okay, here's my control factor, here's where I'm at. Um, am I truly horrible? No, as you put it, they're, they're created with a benign purpose, but then they're going to come back and they're going to get out of control. Very similar to when, if you want to get at the magical purpose, when someone creates a familiar, they think, like, at the end of the day, I'm shut down, so it's shut down but theoretically takes on a life of its own.
2: Well, are you conjuring it from somewhere else, or are you creating it out of nothing?
1: Well, you're not truly conjuring it from nothing. Um, On an interdimensional plane, if you have an energetic purpose, in other words, if you put out a thought form, if you put out an energetic pattern, Mm -hmm. it goes above, so to speak. In other words, it doesn't really go above, but it goes to a different dimensional plane, and it's going to create a thought form, a process, and a pattern. And molecularly, this is actually going to create some form. It can't just go out there and turn into nothing. Energy is energy, and it doesn't dissipate. So when you send it out to a different plane, it's going to create into something, and eventually it's going to come back.
2: Because I've heard, uh, I mean, getting back to the Tulpa discussion, I've heard, I think it was Brad Steiger wrote a piece about it, too, where when they're created, they're, they're kind of given this identity as part of the, you know, especially if it's an experiment. Right. They're giving an identity, and then what happens is is you're giving them an existence when they have no backstory, when they have no uh, sense of identity to themselves, and then that just leads them into the negativity. Be- because you know they've been turned into this entity, and because they're supposed to have some sort of history, and they feel that emptiness, that the negativity, the evilness, is right there to, to suck them in.
0: The Philippic
3: experiment is a classic example exa- yeah, of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you take any, even a religious
1: background, take the Golem for instance, the man made out of clay. Yeah, he was a benign creature. He was based, well, he shouldn't. I shouldn't say benign. He's said to be a protector,
3: protector of the Jewish faith. Correct? Right. But
1: on the flip side of it, what happens is just like in every movie or every story, you know, theologically, what happens? He goes out of control at some point. You know, the Golem was supposed to only do certain things. He was supposed to be a total control. Oh, he was supposed to be the protector. But then he became more of a mind of his own and went out there and did what, he, what else he thought he had to do. That's that's the basis behind it.
2: Well, are these are these things that are created or, or these things that are used in this manner, are they more susceptible? Are they more targeted by the evil side, by the demonic side? Do they look at this as, hey, look, there's something I can latch into a lot easier than a human being?
5: Well,
1: on something like the flange, where you, you have something that's been created, something that's out there and something that comes from it, a negative thought process, mm-hmm. it's not going to look for fun. It's not going to come down here and say, gee, I want to help somebody, I want to do something good. It's looking for what it theoretically knows. It knows negativity. It knows it's comfortable in a negative background. It's comfortable, <clears throat> I'll use the term, in a darker form. So It's not going to come back as a, as a light, fluffy, or an angelic. It's going to come back as something... Besides that, and I, and I have to talk about this part for a minute, if you don't mind. We live in a fairly enlightened time and especially these days you have a lot of people that are trying to understand a lot of the lost forms the pagan religion which is, it's a very beautiful religion but also has a lot of magical aspects and you got a lot of people out there that only read the book to a certain point you know let's say i were to create something let's say i were to send something out a lot of them don't really realize that unless i close it after unless i shut something down that the energy form that I'm sending out is theoretically going to come back at some point and have a life of its own. Sure, yeah. And this is exactly, you know, if you read, I like Llewellyn books, okay? Llewellyn's a great publishing house. Mm -hmm. But if you read it, they they really only go so far. I mean, right now, if you go to your local New Age store, you'll find, you know, like how to create a familiar in three easy steps, um, how to, you know, how to send magic, how to do this, how to do that. And what happens is people only read the part they like.
2: Yeah, there's no consequence to it.
1: No, because for one thing they don't really have a they don't think it has a basis in reality. <clears throat> it's like, okay, we believe to a point. But when it comes to the like as you put it the consequence or the other end of things, if I create it and I walk away from it, it must be okay. It'll go away, it'll dissipate. But in reality, what happens is sometimes they actually get larger or take on a life form of their own. Cuz I've 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 dealt with quite a few of those. Like I say, I've dealt with the fetch. I've dealt with the flangee. And by the way, the reason I dealt with the flangee, I had someone who was of the Hindu faith who had something that was connected to him. You know, the lady said to me, gee, I, I've got this thing, and she said it, it doesn't feel like a person. It feels like it was dark, it was, and it would come through on certain occasions. And very much like what I call shadow people, it never truly had a, a very solid form. But yet it would come through on this dimension. It was driving the poor lady crazy. You know, she'd be in the house, and her and her family would see the shadow that ran across the room, or you'd get this really nasty feeling or this ick part. And the large part of it, I think, honestly, was connected to a couple of family members who were so negative that I think they actually created it to that degree. You know, they, they sent it out there, and I don't think they did it you know, willfully. I don't think they said, gee, let's go create a G I think what happened is it had manifested because of so much negativity connected to these people. You also have to remember in in India there was a caste system for a long time, and a lot of these people were oppressed so much, and a lot of it was almost on such a negative vein that some of the energy pattern went somewhere. So that's not a Christian spirit, or that's not a Christian demon. That would be moral. In that case, that would be a Hindu demon.
2: So to deal with it, you have to come at it from its own... Its own belief system.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I'm sitting there and I'm I'm talking or I'm looking at it or I'm experiencing something, I pretty much have to bring myself to that level. You know, it's it's a if you're talking multidimensional, yeah, the rules sometimes have to change. You know, a lot of the people, as you put it, look at things on a, and I'm not saying that the Christian vein isn't a good thing for most things here, but we live in a in a very very open culture now you know today people are talking about immigration and people crossing the borders and they bring their belief system with them mm-hmm. and again you have to almost learn with them what their belief system is what their demons are and what they're you know and how to basically battle with them it's a constant learning process
2: i mean is it do you think it's a matter of uh that there's certain negative entities uh Well, we'll say demonic, certain demonic entities that are in, you know, hell per se, and and their job is to work under a certain religion. Is that how it works? Is that why you have to go into the belief system for that creature?
1: No, I think it's our belief system, because what happens is the person that you're working with is also connected to it. Okay. So you're working more on that end. Theoretically, you're working for the person. They're the person that's connected to this energy pattern.
2: So whatever ritual you use, it's it's more for the person that's connected than to the actual demon itself.
1: Yeah, I, I think the demon would, would probably respond to a great degree to, you know, the fact that this is a positive en- energy or it's a positive, there's black and there's white. Mm-hmm. The demon's going to respond, you know, to the black, and basically the operator or the person working with is going to respond to the white. Well, so it comes... so let's say I was in Japan and I ran across a Shinto demon. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm still the positive, as long as I'm still the white, I can handle it. But it, it helps an awful lot if I know the background of what I'm dealing with.
3: Essentially, what it comes down to is the faith that you have in yourself. It makes no difference which religion it is, but right. the, the internal faith that you have within yourself.
2: If the phones right. are lighting up here. I think you you touched on something, Gary, so uh, let's go to the phones. Okay. All right. Good evening. You're on Spooky J. South Coast. How you doing?
0: I'm good. This is JB.
2: Hey, how you doing?
0: Everything's great. How are you doing? I'm enjoying your show. Well, thank you. Been listening for a while, and uh, I heard the uh, little uh, promo.
2: Yes, we plug- your
0: appearance tomorrow night on uh, our show, Celtic Stuff Live. And you mentioned uh, a couple of things that I just want to make a quick correction on. Okay. The Celtics blog, which Celtic Stuff Live has joined about a month ago, and perhaps two to our I hope, in a way that it was. Due to they're they're merging or, or we're joining them, um, they need a new server. They're they're I think they had like 23 million hits last month, and the wow. server just couldn't handle it. And so they're installing a new server. Um, they started at midnight last night, and it's still the site's not up. So okay. um, our old site celticsstufflive.com will also be hosting the show. So if celticsblog.com isn't working by tomorrow night at seven. Um, and you're, you're coming on, I guess, about nine fifteen. Mm-hmm. It's a three-hour show. Um, they can uh, hit CelticStuffLive.com dot com um, and, and get on with us. The other uh, thing I, I wanted to uh, mention, you said that I had a an interest in in the paranormal, mm-hmm. and actually, my interest is in uh, spiritual work. I've been meditating for thirty odd years, been to India ten or fifteen times, and studied with uh, Guru and. Uh, you know, take it very seriously, and there's a lot of overlap. But um,
2: well, that was one of the things we were just talking about too. Is you know the those other religions and, and the fact that these things pop up in there as well. I mean, it's not just you know Christian centric.
0: Well, I have a problem thinking that uh, the spirit itself, which you know I consider generally to be a uh, a, a misplaced soul, a soul who has left the body and, and, uh, you know, kind of hasn't taken the the correct path and Mm -hmm. and got stuck someplace. And, and, you know, the the soul itself, uh, as I believe all souls, come from something we might call the immaterial absolute, a formless uh, uh, creative center to uh, what we uh, know as the universe or, or, you know, wherever things that are material have have originally sourced from and you know somewhere along the path consciousness is picked up and and then identities are formed and and religions and and, uh, symbolisms and uh, memory banks and and patterns are chosen so that you know that soul may be reacting to um, symbols and philosophies of a particular religion or another and many souls may have Had several incarnations, um, you know, with with many different uh, uh, patterns of of belief, Uh, but to say that a soul is Christian or a soul is Jewish or Muslim or anything else, I think it's it's just looking at at a, a recent or a series of incarnations that might be so. But but I have trouble identifying the soul as saying well that's a Christian soul or, that's a Jewish soul. Or, I think all souls come from the same place and then pick up the identity somewhere along the way.
2: And, and so Gary, is that what you think? Kind of what happens with these demonic entities? The, the same type of thing?
0: I, I happen to
1: you know I happen to agree. I'm not claiming the the soul is Christian, the soul is Hindu. Uh, I'm talking about this karma, this person on this level, this plane of this consciousness mm-hmm. for their probably more for their comfort or. When you're talking about, if you want to use the term, the demonic, it spreads over every consciousness. As you put it, there is a creative force out there, a consciousness that you know that we all material beings come from. But there's also a negative consciousness out there. I believe very much that there's a white consciousness. In other words, there's some greater force out there. But also,
0: I personally, I believe that there's also that counterbalance in the universe. And I think yeah, that's... here I disagree with. Uh... Is Gary is your uh, ho- a guest tonight?
2: Yes, Gary. Yeah, I,
0: I believe I, I do not believe in an absolute evil power. I, I do believe that um, in, in the creative, uh, the, the, the immaterial absolute, as, as uh, I've described it, um, and that through sheer will and evil, um, a soul can uh, turn away, resent uh, through anger and, and frustration. Um, become evil and and become you know in, in the most solid form uh, a, a force for for great havoc and disruption. Um, but I don't believe that there is a counterbalancing pure evil power that, that somehow can thwart uh, uh, the, the energy that that comes down. And I and I think that's a key in um, in our spiritual work. Sometimes we run into we we do something called a, a spiritual cleaning on, on levels of a, a astral or, or a even causal body, where we run into some of these congested, evil uh, emotions and, and uh, drives. <clears throat> and it can always be cleaned. It may take some time, but it can always be cleaned because there is no root to it. There, there, there is no there there.
3: But in transverse, it can always become dirty again.
1: Right. And by the way, when you say absolute, I, I have to agree
0: there's no absolute evil, but there's also no absolute, absolute good either. Yeah. Well, uh, good. yeah, I, I think you're right in in terms of uh, that definition of, of good and evil. I, I would definitely agree with you that it is just a, a dichotomy. But there is, let's say, a source. Well, let's, let's put it this way. To, to reach that that source, which I think is the destination of all souls, um, a, a purity and a transparency is required. And, and that is what the process of reincarnation and ev- spiritual evolution is for, for the soul to reach that purity where where it can return and merge with that source. I, I like your theory, and I agree with what you're saying to a point. But I
1: also feel that there's a negative form almost as powerful as the purity you're speaking of. And there are souls that seem to embrace the negative form. No question. No <laughs> you know, question. I mean, it's like I, I don't think they're looking for, I'll use the term absolution in a very loose way. They're not looking to say, okay, I'm looking to be cleaned. I'm looking to be pure. Sometimes they revel in the fact that they are dark. Sometimes they revel in the fact that they seem to have. And maybe it's the fact that they're not enlightened enough, that the fact that, yes, they could go to a pure form, but they like the control. They like the feeling of the power. They like the feeling that, gee, in this reality, I can do
0: something. Absolutely, I, I agree. But I, I think what, what I was getting at is that um, because there is, no, ab, in my opinion, no absolute evil power, um, that can always be cleaned. There, There, there is... uh, 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 Opposite to the um, uh, source or or, or the place of of purity, let's say of of, uh, peace or rest, uh, um, there is no opposite uh, force. So so that um, all of those tendencies, as difficult as it might be, and there are certainly you know recalcitrant uh, uh, souls that that are bathed in evil and and revel in the the chaos that they can create and, and organize. Uh, um you know uh, cadres of, of evilness to, to or, perform certain certain uh, things uh, as, as we
2: call him JB Isaiah Thomas
0: <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Um, although, you know you <laughs> know he can't be, he can't be that bad um <laughs> but but uh, maybe maybe we should take this turn here because you know another thing we you talked about uh, maybe some of your uh, I guess uh, some of your uh, listeners would, uh, you know, want to call in uh, and, and talk about uh, what you know we sometimes refer to as the curse of, of the Celtics, and, and we don't take callers while a guest is on the show. Okay, but we have a uh, eight hundred number. It's actually 866-751-9649, 866-751-9649. Anybody can call in during the show. When there's not a guest, and/or prior to the show, they can leave voicemails, and uh, we will almost always uh, play those voicemails uh, live on the air. And when we're talking, I don't know, you know, too many of your listeners here are sports fans, but
2: we have quite this, a number.
0: This was a magical franchise from uh, I think 1957 to 1989. They won 11 out of 13 championships. A couple more in the 70s. Three more in the 80s. And then in 1986, bang, the whole charm fell away with the number one draft pick uh, dying on draft night from a cocaine overdose. Um, the next great player uh, for the Boston Celtics, uh, Reggie Lewis, uh, died of uh, mysterious causes, a heart ailment that might have been linked to drug use.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, those, those were
0: certainly tragic. and. and you know, with the luck that the franchise had had over the years, just kind of stunning, and and the team has spiraled into, you know, terrible losing seasons. Uh, they had a 15 uh, game season, winning season under uh, 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 ML Carr before Patino came. This year, they won 23 games, and they had a rash of injuries. They were the most injured team in the whole league this year. Last year uh, wasn't too far behind. The the, the, uh, the Luck has certainly run out. They they got the worst possible draft pick that a team could get this year. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, 1996, uh, ninety seven when tomorrow? Tim Duncan came out and we had the worst record in the league, the best we could do was the number three pick. And so Celtics fans have kind of taken on that uh, notion of curse. And, and if anybody, you know, any psychics or, or your guest Gary or anybody wants That's, to give us think... a clue... As as to how uh, we could relieve this, or even just interestingly enough, what they might project as the causes of it, I'd love Uh, to. I was going to ask Gary.
2: Yeah, is there? Do you think uh, we got about three minutes here before we have to break for the news? But do you think that it is possible that there could be something, you know, overlying something almost of a demonic nature that's pushing itself onto? But I mean, instead of not not to the Celtics specifically, but instead of you know targeting a person, can it cause havoc?
1: You know when I mentioned the flange, which again is the energetic form that takes on almost a life of its own,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it seems like the negativity. In other words, I, I'm I'm from I know we only get a couple of minutes, but I'm from like the Bird and Walton era, mm-hmm. you know, when the franchise was really up and everything was wonderful. And since then, it seems like they've taken a the negative spin. But it, it's almost like they've been building the negative themselves.
2: It, it's it's karma almost coming back on them. Yeah, but even
1: this year. The biggest thing was, you know, if you listen to the sportscasters, everybody was hoping that they were going to keep losing so we could get the number one draft pick. Mm-hmm. You know, which again is a negative form. We're bringing on more negativity. Negativity,
0: so we could get a higher number in the draft pick. That's- I think it was the death of, of Lenny Bias in, in like thirty six yeah. and then the death of uh, Reggie Lewis uh, a few years later. Probably that, that you know, started. Uh, people but, thinking that there's something, again, something though, it's going a, on here. It's a
2: trigger for, for negativity. It's, it's what we were talking about earlier. So. You know, can I
1: picture Red bar cursing them? No. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
2: well, let's hope now. Let's hope we can work work some white magic from the other side. Well, That's J- what I'm getting at. You know, I... JB, we thank you for checking in, and uh, we look forward to talking to you tomorrow night.
0: Well, great, and, and I'll be listening. Uh, you have another 15 minutes after the news?
2: Uh, yeah, we'll be on until about nine twenty-five tonight. So, all right.
0: If, if if anybody wants to call in with with some theories or uh, ideas about this uh, "quote unquote" uh, curse, and and, sure. uh, and or why you know someone's luck can just turn like that, uh, and if it is, I'll tell you, I have a theory. I'll put it out there. And just uh, it was in nineteen eighty-six that the team went public. And
2: oh, probably, the IPO, you know, yeah.
0: Periods of uh, where the original owner, Walter Brown, just loved basketball, and he loved Red Auerbach, and he loved Bill Russell, and he, he just loved, you know, basketball and, and having a team. It, it kind of uh, deteriorated into uh, the, the corporate uh, partnerships and the buyouts and the, the partners and, feuding and and ultimately deteriorated into the situation what, where... What's the root became, of all evil, J.B.? Money,
2: money, money. You got, all right, we, we got to go. We're coming up against the news here. So look
0: forward to see, hearing, speaking with you tomorrow. Thank you very all right, much. Thank John. you. Yep. Bye bye. Bye bye.
2: All right. So yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about that, and that kind of blends into what we were talking about here, Gary, with you know this this negativity, these negative entities, and you know I i thrown out the theory you know in the past to to other people uh, about the fact that there is I, I don't want to use the word curse because you know with the Red Sox and everything, but they're they're definitely. Seems to be when something negative can attach itself to something. And I'm not talking about an entity per right. se, but a, just a culture of, of negativity, if you get what I'm saying?
1: I'd call it as a, a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. you put it out there, it comes
2: back. Yeah, and that's, uh, <laughs> that's what, uh, we, we I spoke to uh, another psychic here in New Bedford for a story, and that's pretty much what she said, you know? Yeah. Uh, when, when you do that kind of stuff, it just comes back on you, and it comes back on you multiple times over, so. All right, well, we're going to come up on the news here again. Uh, if you want to stick with us for the for the last half hour of the yeah, show. i like fun. All right, so uh, we will take a break for the news. When we come back, we'll talk more with Gary. I want to get his opinion about all these demonologists that are out there as, as being the, I guess, the demon consultant for Orion Paranormal. We'll get into it with him about every group seems to have a demonologist now, and some of them are going out there not really armed with the knowledge that they need. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
3: paranormality here.
2: It sounded like he said
4: a name. South Coast. Did anyone
2: else hear that?
4: Spooky South Coast is back.
1: may made the hairs in the back of my neck stand up. Oh, that is I'm not afraid. You will.
5: The supernatural is something that isn't supposed to. Happen.
2: Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Matt Coss of the Silent Assassin. Matt Moni is the science advisor. We're here for about another, about 20 minutes. Uh, And then Red Sox pregame will be coming your way. Now, we talked about the Celtics, and then we talked about the Red Sox. We don't have to talk about curses with the Red Sox anymore because we don't want to give Dan Shaughnessy any more book sales. No, just kidding. What uh, about the guys
3: that wrote Haunted Baseball?
2: Well, we're going to be bringing them back on there. I actually, like I said, I, I've told you before, I actually know a family member of uh, of Dan Gordon and he said that they've uh they've just been overwhelmed with some of the stories that they're getting in there. I guess they're going through this season of Major League Baseball collecting some more stories, but we will have them back on to talk about haunted baseball uh further on down the line because they've got they're getting some great stories uh, about the paranormal surrounding the game. So, it'll it'll be interesting. Uh, I, I think I think it's another uh, anytime we can get sports fans and, and paranormal, you know, researchers and enthusiasts together and uh, to work together because there's some really paranormal stuff that happens in the world of sports so. but uh, <laughs> let's get back into the talk about demonology with our guest Gary McKinstry. You can go to his website garymckinstry.com m c k i n s t r y and it's uh, linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. You can see him this Friday night at the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society's free open meeting where he'll be presenting his discussion, Demonology 101. It starts at 7 p.m. Uh, the cost is free. You can't beat it. Uh, it's, it's great entertainment on a Friday night. The only suggestion I have, leave early because it's Friday night Cape traffic. So you don't you don't want to get stuck in that, as, as Matt Koss and I found out last year.
3: Leave Thursday.
2: Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Well, they have plenty of nice places to stay in the Hyannis area that are reasonable. So, and uh, and Gary, you said you'll be staying down on the Cape this weekend.
1: Yeah, I, I booked a hotel as close as I could.
2: There you go. That's perfect.
1: <laughs> as and, the lady said, you can see it from the hotel.
2: Well, then there you go. And and uh, the the campus there is is very nice, and uh, they have a they've moved to a, a big uh, auditorium room so they can accommodate many people. So I want everybody that's listening that can get there, to get out there, because, uh, Gary, if your presentation is anything like what you've been talking with us tonight, I know it's going to be fascinating.
1: Well, we seem to be on a lecture circuit at the moment. About two weeks ago, we were out at Harvard. We did a lecture in the uh, Folklore and Mythology Department. Oh. And I was just out at the Springfield College last week, and now we're off to, uh, again, we're off to the Cape this, you know, next weekend, so... Harvard was a little different. We were doing a, a lecture series on um, magic in the 20th century from 1950 to present, mm-hmm. and that was fun. We went through the, the Gerald Gardner times and all of the, the, the new influence in magic today. So a little different topic, again, a little different from the demonology part, but it was fun. It was, it was a good time.
2: Now, and, and do you, have, you must have to take your audience into account when you do these presentations and, and how you present the information. Oh, absolutely. And when you're presenting demonology, how do you, what's your approach to presenting these facts to you know, people that are in the audience that might not be believers in angels or demons?
1: First of all, I never whenever I speak anywhere, I never assume people are believers. You can't go in there and say, okay, these people are 110% believers in anything.
2: Well, because you would think that maybe, you know, these people are going to a demonology lecture because they believe in demons, but as we found out each time we go to these meetings, the audience is loaded with skeptics that are just there to question everything that it is that you're saying.
1: Well, that, and it's Friday night on the Cape, and everybody loves ghost hunter. Everybody loves, you know, like the the genre. They Mm -hmm. love most haunted, and a lot of people are looking to connect to someone live from the field. So I don't go in there with the idea that these are all hardcore people that, you know, they're out hunting ghosts that are into demonology. So I, I go in there almost as a, a, factual, uh, a factual presentation, but with a little entertainment value also. In other words, it's going to be light enough, so hopefully people will enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was working at a ghost conference a, a couple of years ago, and one of the problems that they were having is it was almost too science-based. So in other words, it's like I love the science behind it. I love the idea that this is an EMF meter, this is this, this is that.
2: A lot of laymen are going in there to, to, to learn more about the paranormal, and they're getting overwhelmed.
1: Yeah. So I try to keep it for a one-on-one as a human level. As you noticed tonight, I mean, we I, I got, hopefully, I don't think we got too deep anywhere. You know, in other words, it was, it was more of the, the human interest end of things. The lecture will be a little bit deeper. We're going to talk a little bit about the caste system and who's... You know, again, if you want to look at it, the pecking order of demons we didn 't even touch on any of the if you want to call it the fallen race theory or anything like that tonight. you know we only went strictly on uh, the basis of things tonight within you know and a couple of interesting stories, so hopefully the lecture will have more to it than what we're, what we're discussing tonight I, I actually promise you it will <laughs> and,
2: and one of the things too, one of the questions that I had for you uh, earlier in the program, you talked about the Uh, the system of demons and the similar system of angels. Is is it true, at least in your experiences, and we've seen it uh, portrayed in Hollywood and in some fictional novels, is it true that some of the angelic uh, almost act similar to the demonic in in their their dislike for humans, their, their jealousy for what it is that we're able to experience?
1: I wouldn't say that it's so much of the jealousy. It's more of a fact like, what are you bothering me with this for? In other words, if it's something you can do as a human being, and I don't mean that in a bad form, but today, let's take, well, I'm going to use Michael for a representative archangel. Mm-hmm. And you have people that call on Michael for, like, gee, I have a hangnail. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that my perm comes out good.
2: Or, or, or uh, you know, calling them to help you find your car keys. That's, yeah. That's a big one.
1: You have a, you have an arc, an, an arc form here that basically can battle demons and <laughs> take on the cosmos. And you're asking where your car keys are? Mm-hmm. You know, I had a group of people that were, they were a Nokian study group, they were working, they had a circle that they were working with, and they literally called forth someone, and they called us up in a panic, it was about 9 o'clock on a Sunday night, and I, my wife said, what's wrong? And they said, we had someone show up, and he's standing here. and he looks huge. And the question was, like, well, he's just standing there looking at us, what do we do? Well, the answer was, ask him what you brought him in for. We brought him in because we were wondering if he'd come. I will thank him very much and send him on his way, you know. Gee, I'm sorry I bothered you. But, yeah, when you talk about the archetypical, you know, the archetype, they're not going to exactly come down and say, oh, gee, isn't this wonderful to be here. Mm-hmm. It seems like maybe they'd have more to do in the cosmos than decide, to, you, know, you know, can I afford a pepperoni pizza this week?
2: Exactly. Well, yeah. <laughs> <You know laughs> I people, mean? people do bother uh, the higher powers with a lot of the mundane questions that uh, we could easily answer ourselves if we you know didn't have to look for spiritual guidance on every matter if we could see that reflecting through us and what we've learned and what we what we've experienced and trust in ourselves and what it is that we have accumulated over the years instead of just constantly looking for guidance in, in every matter
1: well if you want to look at it from a theological standpoint the idea of the Enochian race the fallen angels was the fact that man had free will you know in other words their big beef was okay. You've made us beautiful. You've made us in your image. You've made us wonderful, and we've got all this power. But theoretically, we do not have free will, yeah, so it broke away, and now you've got a man here with free will, and he's calling on the angelic race because he can't. You know, even though he has free will, he can't make a decision. Yeah, <laughs> but it's almost a backwards question.
2: And one thing before we go, I do want to get your opinion on this. I mean, sure. it seems like. We've talked about here. We think, you know, our job, uh, at least in what, you know, audience we have and and the people that listen to us, it's our job to try to warn people when they're getting into this field, when they kind of rush into things. And we've already, we've talked to people in the past about, you know, paranormal investigators. Everybody with a camera and a tape recorder thinks they're a paranormal investigator now. But it seems like all these groups that have popped up, each one of them is trying to have their own resident demonologist and is somebody who is, Study the demons and come in contact with them. Uh, what do you see as the, you know, the the biggest challenge to somebody that's trying to become a demonologist?
1: First of all, if you went on the Orion Paranormal website, you'll notice most of my stuff is what's known as extraordinary case. I, I'm not I'm not doing that for the every case. I'm not looking for the demon on the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, as they said in the very beginning of it, the real demon factor is rare. Yes. Um, And even if you find it, then you have to feel that you're and I'm gonna use the term feeling absolute about yourself. Believe me, I've had transgressions in my life, we've all done stupid things. But I'm beyond you know, when I'm doing that I'm I'm literally and I'll use the term as sound really strange, but I don't have a guilty past. I don't I don't have the openings. Everything I've done I've reconciled in my life. So if I'm there, I go in there pretty much with what I consider a fairly clean slate. You know, at least as best I can do. I'm going in there saying, okay, you know, we all have things we would have liked to have done and this and that. But a lot of the people that go in, they're going in there, as you put it, with no basis. And
2: a lot of them are just paranormal investigators that they they break off into, you know, I'm going to run the demonology department. They're or, nice folks. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they they have the best of intentions, but yeah. I mean, they just to some it's like the demonologist is the cool thing to be. Or you know, the most interesting aspect of the paranormal and they're not going in there with enough background research and, and experience. And they
3: don't really recognize the true danger that they can put themselves in without having number one, a decent enough mentor that's taught you what you're going up yeah. against. Mm-hmm. First off, I like I said, back in nineteen eighty eight, when I was young and stupid, mm-hmm. I decided I was going to go, you know, check out this and that and I came across a demon. Sure. And it picked me up, threw me. Five feet through the air into a wall. And unfortunately, surprised. I was tangling with this thing alone, yeah. and I learned very quickly that <laughs> these are things you don't mess with.
1: Like I said, I'm not surprised. <laughs> but the, the thing is, again, people and I, I'm not saying someone shouldn't be interested, but at least as you were saying before, also, you have a you study theology, even if it was, as you put it, more of a an interest than you know a real path part. But you have a basis in it. You understand the, the detail of. You understand where things are coming from. And I don't mean you all have to run out to seminary school before you should go. But the idea is at least have a good basis. And beyond the beyond the popular books that are out right now, I spend a lot of my time in places like Samuel Weiser up at York Beach. Um, you know, that's where the old manuscripts are. That's where you'll get a lot of your stuff from. I've, I have a fairly extensive library if I need to study and I'm constantly in contact with people so it's not like I'm not afraid to call and say hey look I've got this I've got that and there are, I do have people that I consider mentors also so I'm you know it's not like you're out there alone
2: Now and and Gary you've mentioned that people call you uh with cases and and uh you also have a, a business uh, as, a, as a psychic medium, and right. your phone number is on your website for people to contact you. Could people contact you if they wanted more information? You know, for the demonology end of things.
1: They could, um, even if they wanted, if they were interested in a private lecture, if they're interested in, you know, a small group, or a, on rare occasions, yes, we will go out. If you know, but um, if, if something is that bad, if they feel like they have something that horrible or terrible, yeah, they can contact us, and we can see if we can help them.
2: But uh, also, you know, we want people to go to your website and contact you for your your psychic and medium services as well, too. So that would be nice. Yeah, Ga- GaryMcKinstry.com. Well, Gary, we thank you for for joining us tonight. It's been a fun evening, guys. Oh, it's been great for us, too. And we look forward to meeting you in person on on Friday night.
1: One quick thing. Do I get a Spooky Seacoast bumper sticker?
2: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) We will bring you a bumper sticker. That
1: would be great.
2: (laughs) All right. And uh, we will see you in in Virginia Friday night with all the gang from Capers. And we hope everybody joins us uh, 7 to 9 p.m. at Cape Cod Community College. Uh, You don't want to miss it. I mean, if it's it's even half as informative as Gary's been with us tonight, which I'm sure it will be much more. I mean, you're going to learn so much, and you'll come out with a better idea of – just exactly what's going on in the demonic realm. So thank you, Gary, and we look forward to seeing you.
0: Bye-bye, guys.
2: Take care. All right, and we are coming up uh, just about on the end of the program here. Uh, we will be back on our regular time slot next Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern time after the Red Sox. We'll be talking about Roswell. It's the big Roswell smackdown as Matt Moniz and John Horrigan go toe-to-toe talking about the uh, the UFO crash that happened 60 years ago this July 7th. Well, July July 3rd was the actual crash?
3: Night of July 2nd.
2: Okay, so we will go a 15 round heavyweight battle, toe to toe, ring bells, ring girls, Everyone, We're going to have girls walking around with the ring cards. That'll be really interesting. Hmm. And uh, you will be the judges. So until then, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, and for our guest, Gary McKenstrey, I am Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular, everybody.
0: supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.